here we go. <laughs> the Sprista's Goose. <laughs> I don't apocalypse on Shabbos. <laughs> Trump Shabbos. <laughs> I say that doesn't sound like too good of a story for him then. <laughs> yes, it's an 80s film, but it's a quintessential 80s film. That motherfucker gets me excited about science. But yes, I, I do think that this movie requires a couple more views. I have the same cup size as Doc Hawk. <laughs> Give me my sandwich. <laughs> no crusts. Was it an instant classic for you? Uh, no. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moviegoers of all ages, welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh, and with me as always is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other? Don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Marty. 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 It was Marty. <laughs> Marty's my middle name. Ah, dude. Everyone knew Marty, except for Herbie. Um, <laughs> how, how, are you, how are you there, Mr. JCC Cavender? I'm good. I've been taking Geritol. It cures tired blood. For Vim Vigor and balance or whatever he says <laughs> whatever shooter mcgavin says <laughs> yeah i'm jack bar uh how are you my friend i'm good i'm a little crazy but not too crazy that's okay um i'm kind of crazy i've had a long day today and it's it's hot 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 up here in seattle it's it's been feeling good it was like 83 and my whole bus ride home took a good hour and 15 minutes so that was fun yeah yeah Should have take one of those one of those bullet trains Ah, yes, except for the, the small little minor detail of there are none here. Oh, you need hey, one of those. I know. Um, I am happy about today's episode, but I'm also kind of sad. It is one of those moments that is bittersweet. Um, we, uh, this may be one of the last ones we do for a little bit until you get settled in in your new abode in uh, San Diego, right? Close. Orange oh, County. Oh, that's what I said. San Diego and Orange <laughs> County are like neighbors, basically. California is a tiny has its state. Own county. <laughs> kind of a small state. Uh, uh, no, my buddy's my buddy's from Orange County. That's funny. Uh, but you'll be down there. I'm excited for you. Um, and we could still do the whole podcast there. And you and I were just talking about uh, doing some video for it too, possibly, so people could essentially watch our ugly mugs on the on the YouTube's. Oh man, I got some work done. I'm looking good. I look like uh, Jack Palance. But like, <laughs> 1930s like Jack Palance or 1989 Jack Palance? Just doing, doing push-ups left and right. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, man. Hey, what uh, what are you watching right now? Give me a TV show and a movie you're, you're watching right now. Sure. So on the TV, on the boob tube, ah. I, I am watching uh, Designated Survivor. Oh, with, you said uh, that. With Jack Bauer. <laughs> Mr. Uh, DUI himself, Kiefer Sutherland. He is now the president of the United States because everyone else died, and now he is in charge. Is that on a uh, Netflix? It is three seasons. Oh, cool. Okay, I might have to check that out. It's pretty good. I also hey. has Maggie Q, and she's she's one to beat the shit out of people. I like her. Yeah, she's good at her high kicks. Yeah, she was in she was in Die Hard. Uh, Live Free or Die Hard was the yeah. one that she was in, and then La Femme Nikita, she was in that. And she was in Mission Impossible 4. Or might, 3. 3. It might have just been called Nikita, actually. But basically La Femme Nikita. Yeah. Probably. Same thing. Yeah. And then as far as motion picture shows, um, I just watched Hereditary for the first time. 
Oh, I love that movie so much. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's interesting. It's like gives you a lot to think about. <laughs> Probably because not a whole lot's happening, and so you're just kind of left to your own devices, and you're just like, "What is going on with this movie?" And then something horrible happens, and then and then you're thinking, and then something else horrible happens, <laughs> and every whole world's gone crazy in this movie. And uh, it's one of those things uh, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago when. One of my biggest fears is someone not believing me, and that is very much the case for uh, <laughs> what's her name, Tony Collette. Yeah, Tony Collette. Yeah, she's pretty good. She's so good. It's probably her best performance I've ever seen because I've seen a ton of her films and she's phenomenal. But uh, it's probably her best performance. Don't at me, bro. Don't at me. I don't even know what that means. Like, <laughs> don't don't tweet you. I don't know. That's what the kids say. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to be relevant. <laughs> I can't tweet when I'm busy dabbing. I gotta look at my screen. One of Fortnite my dab. Is that what they say? Um, cool. Is that, good. Is that what they say? I I think we should uh we should consider that for a future show uh because I think that there's a ton to un- unwrap about that one. It's an A24 piece, which I love A24, and Ari Aster is a gem. He is a fantastic director. Um, there, there, there. So what I have been watching. Not much on the TV front. Um, I actually just put on Friends again on Netflix because it's just good while you're folding laundry and good while you're cooking dinner and whatever whatever you may do. And it's just hilarious. It's It's gotten better with, with age, basically, for me because I get the jokes now. Um, and for, mo- <laughs> <laughs> and for now movies... You've been an adult for a little while? Yeah, now that I uh, wipe my own ass. But um, for movies, I have... Uh, it was weird. The other night, I went on a little kick because my roommate's gone, which is really cool. So I've just been... I mean, he's, he's a great guy, but what I'm saying is like I can watch movies in the living room and don't have to worry about sharing the TV. Um, and so I just kind of put on whatever. Um, and I was looking at HBO, and uh, Machete was on, starring Danny Trejo. So I watched uh, Machete, and I watched... I don't know why I'm saying it like that. That's a proper way to say it. But uh, Machete, I watched that. It's and, Machete. Yeah, I like saying Machete. Um, and uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez. And then after that, I was on a Robert Rodriguez kick. So I was like, let me watch Predators, which actually is pretty underrated. It's um, it's interesting. It's a pretty decent plot. But uh, I really like the characters, and I like the uh, the creature creation in it. So it wasn't a bad movie. So I watched those, and then I also saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Not going to get into that one too much because it's kind of decisive. Um, uh, or decisive. Divisive? Wow, stupid. Yeah, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Long day. Divisive. Um, Polarizing. Yeah, there you go. But uh, I, I, I really, really liked it. But again other things to talk about so yeah I, i've kind of been watching quite a few movies um but they've been good but uh you made the suggestion because this was your time to pick but what film are we watching there mr cavender we are gonna do quiz show ah we are gonna do quiz show <laughs> <laughs> um this is robert redford 1994 94 yeah, this coach, is a big year. So this is what coach would have put your... me in in '94. I would have scored the game with a touchdown. <laughs> you would have lost, man. It was it's a tough year, man. Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, Ooh. Shawshank Redemption. Oh, those are all show. So amazing. Yeah, now, if you were born in 1994, you are a blessed child. Oh man. So real quick, um, what's what's a film that you could say? I think I've asked you this before. That you could at any point, let's say you're flipping through channels and you flip it to TNT, if that's still a channel, um, and there's a movie playing. Yeah, they have primetime in the daytime. Oh, I don't have cable anymore. But 
uh, you flip it to TNT and it's midway through a movie. What is one of the, one film that you could just sit down and continue watching at any point? Uh, Quiz Show is one of those. Really? Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Jaws. Yes. Um, Jura- I can keep Jura- going. Jurassic Park. <laughs> Iron Eagle. Highlander. Oh. Doug Masters. <laughs> Team America. Oh. Uh, Jurassic Park for me. I think that one hands down. I can sit and watch it nonstop. And Shawshank. Shawshank is just one of those ones that's so freaking classic. I like watching Shawshank on a plane because then it just kills like three hours of my <laughs> of my flight. <laughs> three amazing hours. Oh, I know. I love it. I, I don't put it down. I, I like it a lot. <laughs> Two thumbs, way, way up. I, you know, I never say that, which is so funny that you, I know. <laughs> you always use my voice, <laughs> like your version of my voice. I mean, you've seen, um, what is that movie? Uh, Heartbreak Kid with yeah, where um, Ben Stiller yeah, and there's that part where he's like, uh, she hit the Caddyshack. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like, I don't sound like an Italian mouse. He's like, oh, that's you. That's that's totally you. That's spot totally on you. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, we are playing Parcheesi. Please come upstairs. <laughs> Miranda, we are ready to play Parcheesi. Parcheesi. Please come upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Um. So, yeah, Quiz Show, this is the first time I've ever seen or heard of this film, so this was fun going into it, uh, not knowing anything about it. Uh, top to bottom, this cast is outstanding. Stellar. I mean, you have John Turturro, uh, Rob Morrow, uh, Ralph Fiennes, Paul Schofield, David Paymer, Hank Azaria, Christopher McDonald, Joanne Carlo, uh, Elizabeth Wilson, Alan Rich, Mira Sorvino. Um, you have uh, Martin Scorsese, who makes a cameo. Um, yeah, he's a Geritol guy. Yep. Uh, you have Barry Levinson, who's in it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so very, very cool. And again, directed by Robert Redford. So, I mean, obviously, he pulled some strings. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, he's got a lot of old Hollywood buddies. Oh, yeah. Um, but, Which is great, because that's very much what this movie is. They're like, It almost feels like it was a movie that was made 40 or 50 years ago. They did a really, really good job with that. Just sort of the feel. It just kind of had this... Like, even though like people are making bad decisions... The entire time, I feel like it's just a delightful movie, which is a really weird feeling. It's something yeah. that, that that comes from old Hollywood, too, I think. It's yeah, just charming. Like, Very charming movie. Yeah, it's kind of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's very uh, that that aesthetic is, is very key to the film. And and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it's based on a true story. Um, so I think that that's fun. And we can unravel that a little bit. But yeah, that's a cast. Uh, how did this movie do, though, when it came out? Critically. Uh, critically, it did well. Uh, looking at the the Rotten Tomato meter here, it's at a whopping ninety six percent. Are you serious? Yeah, wow, that's, that's so if, uh, interesting. If you, if you don't like it, you're lumped in with that other four percent that sucks. Have to call spade a spade, but you know you're one of those if you're if you don't like it. Yikes. Uh, let's see here. David Anson, quiz show is superbly shot. Uh, and the acting ensemble could hardly be better. I agree, Mr. David. Jonathan Rosenbaum, Robert Redford's best and richest directorial effort. Not too, uh, not too shabby. Uh, let's see here. Derek Adams, perfectly pitched. The film brims with insight and wit. Highly recommend. That's true. This is one of those movies where uh, when the intellectuals are sitting around a table talking... I just feel a little bit smarter listening to them speak. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I feel like I have to pause the movie to be like, wait, hold on. What did he say? Yeah, like, these guys are pretty smart. I mean, there's I a lot. 
there's a lot of that type of dialogue in, um, you know, like 12 Angry Men is a damn near perfect film, but it, just like that, where everything is so quick and everyone's so sharp, um, or pretty much like Tarantino films, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, but <laughs> I feel like Aaron Sorkin really Aaron, brings that too. Aaron Sorkin's great. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, he is incredible. But yes, like the West Wing, when you're watching the West Wing, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Hold on, pause. <laughs> Hang on a second. <laughs> How do I get to be smart like these guys? I should watch Moneyball over and over and over again. I love Moneyball. I, I think that would be so good. Uh, yeah, Adam McKay does the same type of thing. Uh, the dialogue. I like Moneyball on ice. Pretty good. Is that a drink? I saw it. No, I saw it like on the ice cafe. <laughs> I was choking. <laughs> uh, yeah. One man play. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, so for the awards for this, um, this actually was nominated uh, in 94, I think, at the Oscars for uh, Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. Uh, just nominated, did not win, um, unfortunately. But sure. that's okay, because I think that uh, just being nominated is quite a deal. <laughs> Again, 94 was a tough year, dude. Going against oh, Forrest yeah. Gump, Shawshank, Pulp Fiction, that's, uh, that's uh, you might as well just not write a speech if you're going to that award show. Yeah, I apologize. It was it was 1995. But, um, I mean, yeah, you're well, right. Well, yeah, it, it would have been that awards for the movies that came out in 94. Right. And, I mean, like, so Best Actor went to Tom Hanks or Forrest Gump. And, I mean, you're not going to, sorry, you're not going to beat Tom Hanks for that one. It's just, it's too good. Um, yeah. I'm looking real quick. Oh, best director. Ah, best director went to Robert Zemeckis for Forrest Gump. I mean, that was probably the quintessential film of that of that time. And Pulp Fiction again was one of my favorites. But I love Forrest Gump. I mean, yeah, I, think, just, I think Pulp Fiction won screenplay. Uh, I'm checking right now. It did, did not. It did. It did. It did. Ooh, dude, Speed won for best effects and sound effects editing. That's awesome. I didn't know it was Academy Award winning film. Uh, Yeah, best writing screenplay based on material previously produced or published went to Forrest Gump and best writing screenplay written directly for the screen. So original adaptation would be Pulp Fiction and then best adaptation would be Forrest Gump. Um, Very cool. Uh, I think that's that's awesome. What a year, man. Yeah, what a year. I'm I'm pretty sure Quiz Show is based on a book, too, based off of real events. Probably. Um, Yes, you're right. Uh, screenplay screenplay based on material previously produced or published. Yeah, quiz show. Um, and so was Shawshank, because that was Stephen King. Uh, anyways, but yeah, so those, that's what it was nominated for. It did not win. It won some Golden Globes, but unfortunately it didn't take the little little gold man home. Oh. What were the box office numbers? $24 million. That it grossed? Yeah. That's gross. All right. Not a whole lot. 24.8. Um, it says here that uh, you. I think you had the budget at what, thirty-two million? About thirty-one million. 31. And that that was probably more for the majority was for the actors' fees. Yeah, um, yeah it, it, I think it was one of those movies that I don't know, man. If Robert Redford tells me to be in a movie, then I'm gonna be in the movie. I don't. I'll be like, all right, whatever, I'll do it. Yeah, but if, <laughs> if I'm if I'm John Turturro uh, with his rotten tooth and all. Um, I would, uh, I don't know. I, I couldn't stand that. I'm, I'm telling you, I couldn't stand that. That was, that drove me bonkers. He was uh, portraying the everyman. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so financially, box office wise, for the for what it grossed, it didn't do that well. Um, it was on limited release, though. I mean, opening weekend, it didn't even make a million dollars. Right. Um, so I think it was definitely one of those films, like I've, 
never heard of it, but you you seem to love it. So um, it was just kind of one of those one of those things. You know, the first time I watched it was with my mom. Um, in fact, almost all of the all of the movies that year I I watched with a parent. <laughs> I mean, it was like fourteen, but my parents are really into movies, so it was always fun to watch these these movies with them. And like Pulp Fiction, I watched with my father. Um, Quiz Show, I watched with my mom. Shawshank, I watched with my mom. Um, Forrest Gump, I actually watched with my aunt and uncle. <laughs> cool. Weird. I know. Not not that it's like really a story, but it was just weird that. I was with people that were alive in these times, which I thought was kind of interesting. No, I think it's very important. I think that's what the the power of film can do is, I mean, all of my favorite memories of films were watching it with my parents, like Mrs. Doubtfire. We used to watch with my dad all the time on VHS and it was just, it was fun. And same with Forrest Gump. I mean, my whole family did that. And we went to, when we went to Hawaii, when we were uh, kids, like in the year 2000 or whatever, um, we went to Bubba Gump Shrimp Company and they did Forrest Gump trivia. Well, since we'd seen it so many times, we aced it. And I was like, you know what? I got a, I got a future in this movie business, <laughs> this yeah. movie, movie trivia business. So this business of show. Yeah, these guys mean businesses. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and speaking of trivia, uh, this film features at least four directors in a small role. Uh, you got Martin Scorsese, Griffin Dunn, Barry Levinson, and Douglas McGrath. Uh, the two lead actors, John Turturro and Ralph Fiennes, um, they both actually directed films of their own. That's about all the trivia that I could really find that was worthwhile. Um, Ethan Hawke makes a small cameo in this film. It's very small. He says like, <laughs> another Ethan Hawke movie. <laughs> yeah, he says like he says like one one line, and then it's like, oh whoa, that's Ethan Hawke. And same with Callista Flockhart. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, she was the girl that was uh, auditing the class. Yeah, she was like Allie McBeal. Yeah, um, Alex actually noticed her. She's like, is that Calista Flockhart? It was kind of funny. And then uh, in that scene when he's in the phone booth and that comedian Mario Cantone, he's like, he, he's like, Charles Van Dorn has some yeah. information. <laughs> I know. I saw that guy and I was like, I've seen him in things. I don't. I didn't know his name, though. That's funny. Yeah. He did stand up when I was a kid. He had this real funny bit on the Broadway musical Cats that used mm-hmm. to just crack me up. But, um, oh, man, when I saw him, I'm like, oh, my God, it's Mario Cantone. <laughs> That's cool. It's I, like, come on, give me an autograph from my wife. My wife. <laughs> be a schmuck. Or whatever. Just giving him a hard time. It's so funny. He's like, what do I live in Brooklyn? You live in Brooklyn? <laughs> He's like getting everybody excited. I know. Charles Van Dorn down information. Charles Van Dorn. <laughs> hey, where do I live? What's my street? What street yeah. do I live on? <laughs> Answer this question. Where do I live? <laughs> That's stupid. That's pretty good. Uh, okay. That, what the public that so that's literally the perception of the american people though right hey hold it let's uh let's i because i i like what your your head is at right now because i'm gonna ask you you that in a second i i, I think you and i are, are are thinking the same thing so sorry to cut you off i just oh, I, it's fine. I, you 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 were right on the money with that um let me read a quick synopsis and then we'll jump right into it sure okay so, uh, this is written by me, uh, so don't throw tomatoes at me yet. Make sure they're cooked first, or maybe put in a salad or something. America loves their television, and nothing is bigger than the quiz show 21, a game show in which smart people race to score 21 points by answering intellectually constructed questions. The resident champion, Herb Stemple, is on top of the world, winning 10 weeks straight. That is, until the network wants new blood, because new blood equals new ratings. Geritol Enter- cures tired blood. Enter and if i may add (laughs) i got my wife on geritol and she's doing much better now 
<laughs> Enter Charles Van Doren, affluent professor who lives in his father's reputation and shadow. Van Doren defeats Herb, but only because the network execs told Herb to take a dive and lose on a no-brainer question, <laughs> promising him a television stardom. You want Obs me to take a dive? <laughs> Upset with his choice and the fame that Van Doren accumulates, Herb testifies in a grand jury that the show is rigged. Investigator Dick Goodwin begins interviewing past contestants and eventually Herb and Charles to see if the accusations are true. Some incriminating evidence arises and Dick takes NBC, Geritol, Herb, and Charles on trial. Despite Dick's best efforts to not tarnish Charlie's reputation... Television. We're going to put television on trial. <laughs> You can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. The trial goes through, but to, to less than ideal results. Charles tells the truth, but is ostracized. Dick doesn't nail NBC, and Herb is made to look like a psychopath. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women nearly players. Merely players. Fuck. So, there you go. Um, it is a long film. It's two hours and, I think, five minutes. Um, mm. But... I like your line of thinking, Justin. So I think we should jump right into it. Um, so did you notice the opening scene and how it was so different from anything? I mean, the opening scene, you have a Chrysler 300 or whatever it is. Um, and it's uh, we have Dick, who we're first introduced to. There's no background on him. He explains that he's about to graduate Harvard Law. And then he is trying to he's looking at a a very, very fancy car. For the 50s right and the, the dealer is is um swindling him and kind of like telling him about how amazing it is um what does that opening scene mean to you because i think of it as an allegory for the american dream exactly what it is cool so wife kids car house with the picket fence it's all yeah. part of the formula yeah and 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 that formula was huge in the 50s i mean that was the way it was right um it's this idea that you know, he, the salesman is pitching him. And I think that that is a perfect setup. And Robert Redford is clearly on the nose with that. He's setting us up for that film because it's that dream of this is what we, we can get to and what we can strive to. Um, but, it, you know, but real quick, it was a 1958 Chrysler 300. Oh, so I was kind of right. Yeah, I guessed. Um, all I know is it has four wheels and a steering wheel. <laughs> Four fucking wheels in a seat. <laughs> You're gonna want that true coat there. <laughs> I told you I didn't want the true coat. I sat right here and I you you're wasting my time and my wife's time and, and I'm paying nineteen five for this vehicle here. I'm paying nineteen five for this vehicle. <laughs> You're a fucking liar. <laughs> You're a liar, Mr. Lindegard. You're a bald faced liar. <laughs> a, a fucking liar. <laughs> um so the salesman is telling us what we want. The salesman is there not to be like, hey, what, what can I help you with? It's to instill this idea in our brain that this is the American dream and this is what we want. This is what's important. This is what you want. This is what's important. This is what you have to have. Even meanwhile, the Russians are sending Sputnik into space and he's like, yeah, but they don't got a Chrysler. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> this This is what matters right now. We're here on Earth, and you need to buy this car. I remember laughing. I was like, holy shit, I love this salesman. I would have drove off the lot with that car. We'll see. And and I, you're right. I think that was so cool. But it was so interesting how how that that was like the American mentality then. And they even say at the end, it's funny, it was perfect timing that the Sputnik um, broadcast was coming up. 
And they're like, if you listen to the sound, it means all is not well in America. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, how I read that was I was thinking that that was directly speaking to television and how television controlled the U.S. Um, it, it, it told us when to when to breathe, basically. It told us what products to buy, like Geritol. It told us where we can go and, and what we need to look like in order to be uh, affluent or sure. successful. And, and the networks have a responsibility of public trust which they say in the show. And um, even at the beginning, when the the questions for the game 21 are pulled from a vault and are walked over to, um, you know, NBC Studios, um, there's all you, there's all these shots of, of people running to get to a TV. Like, we have to watch 21. And there are scenes where it's people that don't even live at these houses that are coming over to watch the TV because maybe only one person on the block has a TV, which I think is, is very true. Um, there were, people were, were lucky if they had a TV, and people were stopping what they were doing so that they could tune in and watch the show. And, and I feel like, you know, without, without like DVR, obviously, but, you know, there, was, there are some shows that just bring in the viewers, you know, like something like American Idol or something like that, right, where everyone just stops what they're doing to just watch reality tv it's so crazy that we as humans have not evolved we're still glued to <laughs> our tvs or, or our phones whatever the case may be we are just we are hypnotized by technology and i think that this this movie really um hammers that point home and it does it very very well i'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what i was thinking too i mean like this was a time when sensationalization was everything right um you know it was it, it, we didn't have as many TVs ex, as accessible as they were now. <laughs> no right? one has two televisions. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you, Back to the Future. Um, but uh, yeah, like the only thing I can think of as, as a kid was like things like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, where everyone was watching that, right? Sure. Or American Idol, like you said. Um, I mean, that was what people talked about, and we still see that now. Where I'm not going to dog Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you, that was that serial where you'd watch it and you're like, okay, I have to talk to my friends about this the, the next week. And I know for Geek Legacy, you guys did the Game of Thrones episodes and I loved those because it was fun. It was like, cool, you guys were thinking the same thing I was or, oh, no, you know, Dave's wrong on this one or Randy's wrong or whatever. But like that was so cool. I'm going to write a letter. He's wrong. He's wrong. Signed, sealed, delivered, Justin Governor. <laughs> Registered mail. <laughs> Registered mail. Uh, but I think that nowadays... You're right. With the social media, this hasn't gone away. It's amplified, if anything. I mean, because you look at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. There's a lot of tweeting. What the hell is that? How are you right. watching the show if you're tweeting all the time? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's... There's there's all these influencers, and they're essentially telling us what we need to buy. And unfortunately, a lot of people fall victim to that kind of stuff. I'm not going to dog on it too much, but like the bachelor bachelorette mentality, right? So I, I'm sure people – Alex loves that show, right? I don't think so, no. Oh, I thought she did for some reason. Uh, well, anyhow. Bobby um, does. Bobby watches it. Yeah, see, and a lot of people just love it. And I'm not going to knock them for loving it because it's entertainment. That's what it is, is it's entertainment. They um, are the gladiators of our time. <laughs> they, no, they really are. Like, that's, that, that's, are you not entertained? Yeah, no, that's not that far off because, I mean, they are essentially put on this scripted show and yes, there are some things that can that can actually happen, but reality is not reality. That's in Big shows. Brother After Dark. 
that's, that's when stuff that's, happens. That's Taxi Cab Confessions. <laughs> I used to I used to watch Taxi Cab Confessions and Real Sex on HBO, and I'd turn my TV down so low, and I put like a blanket underneath my door so that my parents couldn't see the light coming from my room. Oh my god! And I was like, oh yeah, boobs. <laughs> it was uh, it was interesting. <laughs> but uh, that's better than what I had. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. What'd you have? <laughs> I had my parents' book from health class from 1952. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that little thing? It's like... Eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or like maybe like a penthouse from 1978 and right. with like a soft focus and crazy hair <laughs> and it was off. Like, this is what people look like? Fast. <laughs> Why is she so blurry? I don't get it. <laughs> Buzz your girlfriend. Woof. <laughs> yeah, that's um, what I had. It was sweet. But yeah, I, I think that that was, uh, it, you know, I actually ended up watching the first half of this. <laughs> I watched the first part twice of this film. <laughs> uh, the third part. Third part. <laughs> last, please. Uh, I actually watched the first part twice because I watched it with my buddy Matt. And that really struck a chord with me with the um, the Chrysler scene. Because, you know, you have Dick here. And he is an honest, hardworking, ethical man. And he lusts for this this item, this item of um, of wealth, of yeah, the, the status item, basically. Yeah, the status piece. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of, and this is funny because Martin Scorsese directed this too, but it reminds me of The Wolf of Wall Street, where you have that FBI agent who is, like Jordan Belfort is telling him, like, have you ever had this much money or whatever? And he's like, no, I still take the subway or whatever. And he even contemplates that kind of stuff about his life, but he's like, look, I'm doing the right thing here. Um, and I think money, money talks, right? It's, 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 it's big, it's huge, it's important. And so is, is reputation. And I think that that was a very, very great way to open the movie for, for the viewer without reading too much into it. But, um, so what do you think? One thing that was really interesting to me was, and I was kind of lost on it. So I'm really intrigued to hear what you have to say. It seemed like they were asking these questions, and this goes back to kind of what you were saying about how um, who's they intellectually scripted this film was. So what when everyone's watching, all the all the viewers are watching Twenty One, and they ask questions like, "Who was the founder of, or who was the captain who founded uh, Zimbabwe yeah. or something?" And right, everyone, and, and possibly hard questions. Yeah, and people just know the answers like they're they're normal, right? Well, I think I think the only people that knew the answers were the contestants on the show mm-hmm. and Dick Goodwin. Well, his, no, no one else. His wife did, too. Well, she was also, she was uh, a writer. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, she was also an intellectual. She went to, it, it, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but he went to Harvard first in his class, right? Sure. Um, and it's possible that he met her at Harvard. Um, he, met, he met her at a, as a waitress at a cocktail bar. Yeah, <laughs> that much is true. <laughs> um that's the only thing I can think of, but they are not the everyman. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of these hardworking Americans are blue collar and they don't uh, have this higher education. Um, but even still, a lot of these questions were ridiculously hard because when when he was asking at the beginning of the show, when Jack Barry is asking <laughs> about Shooter McGavin, <laughs> when he's asking Herb about the midnight ride of Paul Revere. And, you know, that uh, one if I land, two if I see. And then, you know, was the, was his horse, uh, you know, a mare or whatever. Even even 
Charles Van Doren's like, how would he know that? Like, who knows if this horse is male or female? That's kind of crazy. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I think that, I mean, Redford obviously is a very smart man. And we, we were seeing that kind of stuff, too. Um, it almost... that's, also, that's also the point, too. They're, they're giving the answers to these impossibly hard questions, which makes it more exciting. It is entertainment for the, the viewer. It's like, I don't know the answer to this. Oh, my God, I'm so excited that this person does. It's incredible. Like, you know, every once in a while in Jeopardy, there's that person that wins a billion weeks in a row. And you're just like, holy shit, this is so cool. I get maybe, I could probably answer 15 to 20 Jeopardy questions on a really good day. Um, Final Jeopardy and usually like one or two a week and that's it and that's that's on a good week mm-hmm. um, but there are people out there that are just there's always someone better than you <laughs> and sometimes it's fun to root for that person so I think in this case they make the point of hey this is entertainment we're not there's no there's no victim here it's just good television yeah and I, I, I completely agree with you Um, I think that it's uh, I, I think they, they put questions in there like um, who won the best picture for 1955 at the Academy Awards or whatever. Um, they put those in there and they're almost like no brainers to instill this kind of hope in the common viewer who may not right. know who like uh, Keats was and they can't recite poetry from him or something. Uh, but they know that clueless starred Alicia Silver, Silverstone or something. Um, right. There is that relatable question that, like, oh, I could be on a game show like this. Yes, and that draws in ratings. It draws Mm. people in to watch and see what happens. Um, I used to love uh, Kids Jeopardy and also College Jeopardy because it was like, what are the ingredients to Hot Pockets? And I was like, oh, cheese and pepperoni and (laughs) lava. I used to kill it on the college ones. I was really good at the college ones. Um, But it's one of those shows, the more you watch it, the better you get. Like, you start to get in that sort of that mindset. I think video games are like that too. You know, if let's just say that you um the new God of War game was coming out, right? If you plowed through the first 3, your mind is already like thinking that way to where you're able to, to solve puzzles. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy how that works. Well, and I think there's a certain paradigm for some of those dungeon crawlers. I mean, they have like the same mechanics and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, so if you play enough like Ocarina of Time is one of my favorite games ever. And that whole mentality of solving the puzzle just to get to the next room and stuff, that has gone on to so many different games, right? Um, and you're that's ingrained in your mind. I mean, it's it's like riding a bike. I'm never going to really forget how to do that. I could pick up a controller right now on my N64. <laughs> and you could be like, up, left, right. Yeah. Up, left, right. Do-do-do, <laughs> oh god i love that game so much uh, up left right listen uh anyhow but i think that they instill that bottle that hope they instill that hope into the normal viewer um and we see some of that in reality tv unfortunately i think that you have to find that that balance because Shows like The Bachelor and Bachelorette, um, there's this kind of, you know, expectation of they're so beautiful. And I look at it and I'm like, hey, I, I could I could probably go on that show. And then I'm like, eh, probably not. But, <laughs> but I wanted to go on the real world when I was a teenager. Uh, so did I. And, and see, True the, story. Yeah. The cool thing about that was they actually looked pretty normal. I mean, they look like normal people. But I saw in 
advertisement for um, a later on real world that took place in Seattle years ago. And I like saw the people that were on it. I'm like, huh, okay. They were like Abercrombie and Fitch models. And so that to me was reality TV lost sight of what they really were. I mean, everyone was pretty and it wasn't the reality we live in. So I think that with Quiz Show and with these uh, producers, I mean, they took this Herb Stemple, who was the everyman, who was, you know, the guy who lives in Queens, and they wanted to run with it. Unfortunately, the producers, uh, or the, the powers that be, decided, hey, he's not selling us product. He's not getting us ratings. People want to see this this rich, uh, famous white man, which is really upsetting. But, I mean, that was the time in 1955, right? Um but yeah, that's, I mean, I, so I think that Robert Redford was basically saying that a lot hasn't changed since then. Kind of. Right. right. I mean, yeah, like, so the, the two producers, like Dan Enright, um, you know, when he sees Charles Van Doren, he's, he's, you know, there's lightning in the bottle. He's like, oh my God, we got to get this guy on the show. This, this is, this is going to bring us ratings, especially when his father is a renowned professor at Columbia. You know, it's a really big deal. And, you know, the idea of of all in the name of education, you know, it's all very good premises to to get the ball rolling here. And it's it, it's it's so pure it floats. Throughout the film, the main characters have to make these crucial choices that kind of help define who they are. Um, Herb decides to take a dive and he loses, right? Uh, Charles decides to answer a question that he already knows the answer to that the producers pretty much pulled a fast one on him for and, and put in there. Um, and then Dick has to kind of almost betray Charles and put him on trial. These choices, though, uh, they, in our mind, or in their minds, in the characters' minds, they had a potential for a greater good. The but, greater good. The greater good. But my question to you, Mr. Cavender, is when do these choices, when when can we say that these choices are the best for us? What? <laughs> so, okay. Sorry. Let me word that differently. So basically, they're making these choices that they think are in their best interest. Right, right, but, right. So Herber, Her, Herbie takes the... He takes the dive because he thinks cooperating with the studio will get him a panel show. Yes. Right. Um, and then uh, Charles Van Doren, he is tired of living the lie and he can't take it anymore. Maybe maybe Dick Goodwin is getting to him on some level. He's tired of the pressure. He's tired of, of, of the lie. And he says, I can't do it anymore. So he takes a dive. Well, I'm, I'm even talking about Charles Van Doren when he makes the initial decision when he beats her and he's like oh and he answers a question that he that he absolutely knows because he goes down the stairs in that scene and he's like rationalizing with him he goes "Uh, you know it's twenty thousand dollars yeah i deserve it right um right and And then and then he even asked dick that he goes if if someone offered you all this money to uh over like a little little white lie you know would you do it and and dick's like no i wouldn't yeah Uh, i mean he's we can all say that we wouldn't but then you know, you never know until you're put in that position. But then that, and then, and then that, I think, I think with 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 Charles Van Doren, down for information. I think, <laughs> I think he was tired of living in his dad's shadow. You know, he his his classroom had eight students in it. You know, his dad was, um, you know, a renowned uh, professor. 
and an award-winning professor and the whole world knew who he was and i think he wanted a little bit of that fame Mm -hmm. and i think that comes back to the chrysler scene uh it's it's that american dream it's it's that thing of of grandeur like what what can we be next and what is that big step and all of them made those made those decisions and and i'm led to believe that dick walked away he didn't buy the car right and i i i agree with you um I it's don't pretty, think he, it's pretty ambiguous, but you never see him in it. No, and I don't I don't think he could have afforded it, but I think it it was always that forbidden fruit that kind of hangs over his head that he's thinking, you know, this is a lot of money and when Charles asks him straight up, "Would you do it?" and he's like, "No." Throughout the film, you're led to believe that because of the character that Dick is. Now, if you would have asked that at the beginning of the film, I would have been like, "This guy's full of shit. He'd take the money." But he's a stand-up guy and it makes sense. Uh, the ten, you are ten times the man of Charles Van Dorn. Yeah, thank you. Says. Thank you, Romy, Romy and Michelle. Yeah. Um, but so We're pregnant, you half wit. <laughs> okay, Billy. <laughs> uh, so, but with with Dick, he makes the choice. Like he, you know, he respects Charles, and he doesn't want to tarnish his reputation because he under he understands that, but his wife explains to him like you need to put yourself forward or in front and you need to essentially throw him under the bus. Have you ever picked up a bus? Have you ever been a bus tosser? (laughs) Only when my child was, was uh, trapped under the bus, but, but see, I I really like that. I like how he was so, he was willing to go so far as to even jeopardize his own career by not putting Charles on the stand. He was saying, he's like, I need you to be quiet. I need you to just walk away and just don't fuck up for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> He's literally like, you know, I, I really care about you. I care about your family. I, I look up. You know, he actually gets to see this world that that Charles lives in. And, you know, it's it's romanticized, right? Like, he's really, really into it. And at, the whole time, he's like, how on earth is this guy such a creep by by being dishonest? You know, his his family's amazing. And and here he is parading around. He's a he's a phony. He's a fake. And I think that that I think that really hurts Dick Goodwin's you know character. He's really sad about that. He's really broken up. Right. And I think that the poker scene is very telling of that because you know he invites him into his home. They're both intellectuals. He has that conversation where you know people would look at us cross-eyed when they knew we were smart and it wasn't the popular thing. And now this is our avenue to be like. Look, we're being adored by America because we are smart. Um, but during the poker scene, that's when you really kind of see Dick uncover the layers right. and realize he's a liar. He says yeah. you're lying. He says you're lying. He's and... not lying. He's not talking about the cards. He's, yeah. he's talking about but this whole life that he's built up. Yeah, but Charles re- has a rebuttal, and he says it's bluffing. Which that it's that subtle difference, and that's the mentality that Charles has in this, where it's like, look, I may be lying, but I'm fooling you into thinking that I'm telling the truth, and so he's not flat out lying, but in a roundabout way he is. Right. Um, and so that's, and then the scene immediately after that is is Charles pacing in the office of um, what's his name, uh, the producers, Dan Feldman, and Dan and and Feldman. 
Hank Azaria, Moses Lack. What the um, hell is egregious me? <laughs> yeah, right. I like I like when he does the the jerk off motion each time. <laughs> He's like Harvard Law. I'm like, dude, it's Harvard Law. <laughs> I, I like good. I like Hank Azaria a lot. He's been in. He was in um uh that movie Heartbreak Kid, wasn't he? No, he was in. No, that's in the other one. That's a long, he was game in a long game Yeah, yeah. Ruben. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you like scuba? He like scuba. <laughs> it's like the story of the hippo. I'm not familiar with that story. <laughs> <laughs> the story of the hippo. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, um, but I I, I think that it's it's important and and. and Martin Scorsese's part was really good. Like towards the trial when Scorsese is like, I run Jared Hall. Do you think that I would not know what's going on in these situations? And he's like, so you're not denying it. He's like, no, I'm not denying it, but you need to understand basically that this will continue on. This is a small, small hiccup in the grand scheme of it. And, uh, Enfield will have a Enright, Sorry. Enright will have a, career after this if he plays ball like down the road he will and you can't just tackle such a big conglomerate like television or like the pharmaceutical company like that or cosmetics or whatever um yeah and even 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 um you know robert kittner who was the president of nbc the president he's he's on a first name basis with the chairman of the congressional committee of oversight they were talking about golf and stuff yeah and it's like He's like, dude, he's like, young man, I run the, you know, NBC. And do you really think I have time to, to give a shit about the day to day of a little show like 21? Come on. Even though he was well aware, you know, the burden of proof, well, you know, lands on on Dick. Mm-hmm. And he's like, then why are you the one sweating? I was like, oh, snap. Yeah. <laughs> Burn. Topical right. cream. You need some. <laughs> But uh, I, I think that that's so interesting. I mean, those choices that we think we make, like those everyday choices that we're like, look, this is going to push our, our boundaries for our ethical limits, but we may do it for a certain cause. We don't understand that those choices that we make cause a ripple effect and they have uh, there's collateral damage that can occur from it. Um, I mean, Charles knowing good and well that yeah it's a lot of money it's twenty thousand dollars and yeah he he deserves it quote unquote but he doesn't even stop and think about the reputation that he might be tarnishing and i think it's summed up beautifully at the end in a very tragic way too where the reporters are basically breaking the news to him after he's bared his his soul out there and told the truth at the courtroom and the reporters are asking him and his father they're like did you hear you got fired from NBC did you hear that Columbia is going to have you on a review board now and they're asking to ask for your resignation and then at that point like his father is like oh my god he's so embarrassed and so distraught because that is his legacy getting flushed down the drain in like 5 seconds right um so that's and such that, a that, hard and there's really choice. there's a really powerful scene between him and his father when he's in the classroom and he's you know, telling him, like, look, I need to go testify. And his dad's like, it's no big deal. And he's like, all you got to do is tell the truth. And he's like, it's not that simple. He's like, what's simpler than the truth? And he's like, well, you know, it's all, it all a lie. And, you know, his dad, we see him upset for, like, the first time. And he's like, you know, your name is mine. And that's like, that's like sins of the father in reverse. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like literally damaging this entire, you know, career that his father's worked so hard to do. Yeah. And um, it's really sad. 
it's you know, and, 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 you know, Charles Van Dorn, he's like, I stood on the shoulders of life and I've lit and I've never gotten down into the dirt to build, to erect a foundation of my own. I've flown too high on borrowed wings. Everything came too easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's literally a, a boy confessing right now. Mm-hmm. He's, 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 we'll say the term manning up right now. Right. But that's what he's doing. He's literally taking responsibility and accountability, something that every human being should do. And and all of a sudden he's supposed to just get a, get an attaboy, and you know first all the all the people in the hearing are like oh good job you know I'm proud of you, and then there's that one guy from the Bronx who's like fuck you man, <laughs> and yeah for lack of a better term that is what he said like if I had a gavel I would hammer <laughs> it right now that's pretty low Mister <laughs> if I had a, a sack of doorknobs I'd beat you with <laughs> a rubber hose or whatever rubber hose yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. No, it's true. I, I love that. Your name is mine. And it's yeah. like, you know, you were only thinking about yourself when you literally damaged the entire reputation of this family. See, you know, it's I, bigger than that. And I think that that is almost uh, synonymous. Well, not synonymous. I think that there's this kind of um, synchronicity, too, with that compared to the way TV works. I mean, yes, we... We knew that Charles, or I'm sorry, what was his father's name? Mark Van Dorn. Mark Van Dorn. That, that he was a professor and a poet, and his reputation reputation preceded himself from the moment we met him. We knew that he was this very important figure in New York and possibly the the U.S. or world. Um, so, as soon as something like this happens, that is completely out of his control. It's completely out of his control. It could completely tarnish his reputation, just like with TV. We see certain things happen, and we have this idea of who this person may be, and it could ruin their lives. Do you know who Steve Bartman was? Have you ever heard of the name? No. So Steve Bartman um, was a, well, still maybe, a Cubs fan, Chicago Cubs baseball team, and uh, back in... Is he the one that caught the ball? Yes. So back in like 2007, I think, um, he uh, the Cubs went to the 2003. Uh, 2003. There you go. I was. Like, I remember. I was still working. Three. I still had a mall job. I remember when it happened. Actually. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the Cubs went to the ALDS, I believe, um, or ALCS. And basically, if they would have won, they would have gone to the World Series. They were playing the Marlins. They were doing well. The Cubs hadn't won a World Series since 1915 or whatever it was. So a long ass time, right? Um, so this was, this was their year. It was, it was going to be awesome. Chicago was excited and a, everything was going well until I think like the seventh inning and a foul ball that possibly questionably could have been caught by Moises Alou in left field went out and a fan named Steve Bartman who had headphones on was listening to the radio, reached out over the fence a little bit and grabbed the ball. Uh, kind of deterred Moises from catching it. Obviously, it's up for debate, and that's the whole reason for it. He was pissed. All the fans were pissed. From that point on, the Cubs then started losing the game, and he became the scapegoat. Uh, there's a lot of other intricacies in baseball. It's a game of inches. Sure. So so for people to over-basically sensationalize this one particular incident, they, this poor man had to move, like, I don't know if he moved out of the country, but completely out of where he was because he's getting death threats for catching a foul ball, something that I would do as a fan of baseball. Yeah, as in, in the moment, in, how would in, you know? Exactly. And so 
with something like this, if you had any single person who's like, hey, we want to give you $20,000, and in 1958 or whatever it was, $20,000 was like $21,000 now. No, it was, it, was, <laughs> it was a lot of cheddar cheese, right? It was a lot of money. And he got a well over 100 when it was all said and done. Yeah, and let's say that's like a million dollars now, probably more than that. But even so, that's a lot of money. So having that and having that put in front of your face, I mean – it's very hard. It, there's not many people out there, unless you're Dick Goodwin, that can say, I won't take that money and take the easy way out, right? Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting how people can just jump on it and judge his father. Jump so, on it. <laughs> they can judge, you know, Mark so quick about this, about the actions of his son. Everyone's looking for that scapegoat. And that's just the the infectious idea with television unfortunately and it hasn't gone away and i think redford knew that <laughs> it, it it hasn't gone away i mean that is so vicious it's such sure. a poisonous atmosphere to be in and unfortunately that's what it is right and everyone wants to be in it we idolize it we think it's incredible and then you have someone tweet something that's offensive and then their career is over Exactly. Or you're like, or you're like Mel Gibson, and you're just a terrible human being. <laughs> he's he's pretty awful. <laughs> and then you get a second chance, or third, or fourth chance, and you're putting Expendables three. <laughs> what a fucking asshole, man. He, he is an asshole. You remember those tapes where he was talking about like murdering his girlfriend? He's like, oh, I'm gonna fucking kill you and bury you in the rose garden, and all this stuff. I'm like, oh my god. He's a bad dude. I own this town. How much does Malibu sell for these days? It's just. And and like that's what I mean. I mean it, it's so it's so prevalent now because of the advancement in social media and the avenues we have. Um, but unfortunately, I, I think that we, for lack of a better term, get brainwashed into into this kind of stuff. I mean, sure. TVs are more readily available, the internet's more readily available, so people watch these and they just get they think that that is their reality. So in effect, reality TV has won. Um, people start blending reality with. Uh, you know surrealism basically yeah. so it's it's a very dangerous game and it's it's so interesting how how robert redford was able to kind of see that in his his sexy sexy old man ways so yeah well i mean he's a man who you know dedicated his life to hollywood right so he yep. was he'd been in the business his entire life he was already um you know an an older person when, when 1994 you know he was a mature filmmaker mm-hmm. um and so he'd seen it all and it not only had, did it did it not change the, you know the the world has not changed but in fact it's it's one of those things where it's it's progressively getting worse but it was always kind of like this it was always gl- glitz and glamour and oh my god you're on television or oh you're in the movies you're you know I've seen all your pictures people like would would uh, idolize and worship these celebrities and mm-hmm. something like this game show where it's the only thing on TV that you have to tune into or you're just an asshole if you missed it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a really big deal. And then meanwhile, uh, Friedman, Hank Azaria and um, and Dan Enright, their characters, they play the game. They they go away. They lay low for a little while. They come back and they make millions. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things that, that, that just goes to show that that this monster is never going away. No, yeah, it's like if, po- if it's anything, like politics. Yep. If anything, it just set the precedent. Like, yep, it's entertainment. It's just like wrestling. Yeah, people get hurt every once in a while because they're acting and things go wrong. But at the end of the day, it's it's entertainment. It's show business. Yeah, and it we put, buy into it. It puts butts in the seats. And I think uh, it was Feldman Hagazaria who was stating, you know, um, 
Gregory Peck parachutes into like Iwo Jima or whatever behind enemy, enemy lines, and we know that's not real, but we're entertained by it. So in a certain sense, I can totally understand why no one was charged for this. They did change regulations, and there was some uh, obstruction of justice, of course, but rigging the show in lack of a better term, I mean, in lack of a better way of looking at it is not that bad because no. it, it, it is entertainment. I mean, do we really think that when we watch, like, let's make a deal or whatever, that there's not people who were maybe told to do a certain thing a certain way? I mean, right. I look at I look at Jersey Shore, right? It was one of my guilty pleasures back in the day. Um, and they literally had producers there that were helping them cause drama and fights and whatever have you because – that was the way that it was supposed to be. And that was what MTV progressed to, unfortunately. Right. Um, and but, even on the show, you know, he's like, uh, they say, call him Jack as often as you can, you know, uh, like referring to Jack Barry. And, you know, just to give it that, that more personal approach. And yep. then, you know, the the heavy breathing for effect, turning off the the fan in the booth. Biting the so lip. Biting the lip, making him sweat. How to like, how to properly dab the forehead and yeah. smear the sweat. In the makeup. Yeah, it's all being coached. It's, yeah. And, it's literally to make the show better and add that drama and, and it works and I totally get it. I mean, I, the only one that's really bad, I would say is, you know, lying to yourself and convincing yourself that you're doing this for, for like in the name of education. Like I think Charles Van Dorn is really the only one that, that is the bad guy in this whole thing because he is being something he's not. Uh, her, her was as well, even, you know, he's lying to his wife, you know, he even says like, what do I care if any of these, if these saps think that, you know, <laughs> I'm the smartest guy in the world. And she's like, I was one of those saps, yeah. you know, he, even he was in, it wasn't until she told him that, that he was able to say, oh yeah, you're right. You know, then he has this sort of aha moment, you know, okay, I'm not, I'm a bad person. And at least in his own mind, he even fought for himself. It's all about convincing yourself when you're going to lie, right? Where yeah. you find a way to justify it. And he was justifying it because he wasn't parading himself around as someone that's doing this in the name of education. Whereas, and that's why he took so such offense to Charles Van Dorn, because he felt snubbed, and he didn't get his panel show, and he thought it was all just a lie. Yeah, he was being selfish. I mean, he thought what's the next thing? And that's why he was agreed to take the dive is, Oh, I'll get a panel show. Right. Yeah. Like it, it was, yeah, cool. I have some money, but he blew the money. He, he gave it to a, basically like a financial advisor or, yeah, tax, a book whatever, or whatever. A book yeah. yeah. And he ran away with it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's on him. That just shows he, what an idiot he really is. Right. Yeah. And that's on him. And that's, that's his fault. And yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think uh, Charles would be uh, the bad guy for, for all intents and purposes. Um, you know, there was that scene where, they like Charles, he really embraced the um, uh, celebrity that he had taken on. Right. Like when so, he goes to tie his shoes, like there's yep. no crowd. He waits until the, the crowd is there before he goes out so he can sign autographs and stuff. Yep. And even his father. But his father saw right through that shit. Mm-hmm. And he knew like, hey, this isn't you. And, and I didn't know I was I was on a level, Charlie. Um yeah, when he says, like, you know, why don't you just put it in the bank? And he's like, well, it's more complicated than that. There's, you know, taxes. And he's like, you, you don't think that I understand how taxes work? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, at this level, it's more complicated. And he's like, level? I never thought of myself as, you know, having a level. And it's, it's so interesting because I think the entire time his father knew something was up because he's a very smart man. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, 
and so that was that was so interesting that that he had that kind of you know those interactions and and he still kept that mentality but yeah no you're absolutely right so um yeah but uh that's all i have to say about quiz show um so justin based on uh script character acting timing sound and visuals was quiz show a good movie film heck yeah man love it yeah uh okay letter grade from d to a what do you give it I give it an A. An A? I, th- I, th- I think this is an outstanding movie. Love it to death. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I love the, I, like, I, like I was saying earlier, how it just feels like it's a movie from, you know, the 50s or 60s. Like, it, it just had this vibe, and it was, like, just caught in a time capsule, and I just loved every bit about it. I thought it was charming. I, I just love the way it was presented. I like all the characters. I think every character that was in it, you knew what they were all about. There was no real struggle for character development i think you had the opportunity to buy into everybody you got to pick your players and see it all play out and i thought it was fantastic yeah you know i agree with you for the most part um i thought again i thought the script was fantastic the writing was so great the characters were awesome the acting was awesome the timing was awesome the sound was whatever and the visuals were whatever well, I, the, I, the sound was cool in the studio so, oh yeah yes you know yes. it was like you were watching a production of a television show uh, in person. It was fantastic. Yes. Everything yes. from the applause to the uh, acting in the moment, having to go to break, what goes on behind the scenes, how everyone's watching, even the you know the producers, the the sponsors, the president of NBC. Everyone's just kind of just on edge because it's it's like it's live TV, right? Yeah. So anything could go wrong. Yeah. And sometimes it does. Yeah. Um, so I give it a B, um, only because it kind of lost me towards the end. Just it kind of dragged a little bit. Uh, but everything up to that, again, I went into this completely cold turkey and had never seen it before. Um, so that was that was neat. That was really cool to to kind of experience this brand new. Um, but it definitely, I think towards the end, it kind of fizzled out for me a little bit because uh, some things kind of started getting predictable. But I still don't think that that takes away from the performance that they all kind of gave. Um, and there's a reason why it was nominated four times. Um, you know, tough year to to win, but still having a nomination is great. So, yeah, I totally recommend this film to people. Um, and that's all I have. What about you? Anything that's else? No, nope, that's it. I'm glad you liked it. Glad you watched it. Tell your friends. All right. Thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us and we'll discuss them on our show. Heck, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Just please remember, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Merch. <laughs>